Welcome to Kilts and Culture with USA Kilts. We're here to talk about all things Highland dress, the cultures and the heritage that created it, and how to enjoy the kilt in the 21st century. From tartan and trues to haggis and history, we cover it all. So sit back, grab your beverage of choice, and enjoy the show. Howdy, boys and girls. Welcome to Kilts and Culture. I am Rocky. This is Mr. Eric. Yo ho ho! You like that? <laughs> adorable. Totes adorbs, Eric. Try Totes to change adorbs. it up a little bit, you know? Indeed. So, today, special treat. We have made, well, not we, I didn't make anything. Eric has made hot toddies. So, in the spirit of the season, if you will, in the spirit of having an old timey drink and just doing something fun. Uh, we decided to try hot toddies. So these are pre-poured as of about five minutes ago. And voila, Eric, what is in a hot toddy? Uh, there's actually a lot of different ways you can do it, but this is a uh, pretty basic traditional way of doing it. It's uh, two ounces of whiskey, and we actually use the Oxentotten. Uh, Oxentotten? Oxentotten? Oxentotten. That we tried last month. <laughs> Uh, and then um, uh, about half an ounce of honey and a quarter ounce to yeah, two thirds an ounce of lemon juice and then cloves and cinnamon, a little extra lemon there if you want it. Um, there are more complicated recipes, but this is the basic one. And then boiling water to the top. Unfortunately, we're not gonna get the full effect because they're not like piping hot, but it's what's supposed to be the, good during cold. What's the, how much uh, scotch do we put in? Two ounces. Two ounces. Mm -hmm. Okay. Could be, could be, it, could have been more, but you know, cilantro. It smells good. I'll give it that. Smell the cloves and the cinnamon. Got a little cinnamon stick in there. I don't know if you can see mm -hmm. that. That's mm -hmm. good stuff. It's artisanal. I'm, I'm impressed. Oh, thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. With your hot toddy skills. Uh. <sighs> mm. Mac, do you have your hot toddy? I, I do. It's right here. Very good. Very good. And we, I did these in the uh, Irish coffee mugs because that's what I had, but you normally would use a toddy glass, which is about eight and a half ounce capacity. These are an eight ounce capacity glass, so it's good enough. I'm, I'm getting the lemon um, and the cloves, not quite as much the cinnamon, um, but that's pretty good. This from the guy who says he doesn't like hot alcohol, so. Yeah, yeah, it's I, I don't like hot alcohol. I don't like... Mm -hmm. Um, uh, like Irish, uh, Irish coffee. Yeah, I'm meh. I think it's because I'm not tasting the alcohol as much, maybe. Um, I don't know if, uh, Alkintoshin would be my first choice to put in for it. I'd probably do something a little lighter. Um, if we had, you know, yep. whatever scotch we wanted to try. Um, <clears throat> it's, we're working yeah. on what we got. Um, right. But, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I thought about that. And I thought, well, you know, the profile on the auction um is uh, it was kind of middle of the road to light. So I thought it might work OK, actually. But the funny yeah. thing is, one of the recipes I looked at online for this, they recommended using Dewar's, like a Dewar's 12 doers? year. Yeah, doers. Right. Yeah. <laughs> doers I, I do. Beer. I will say the 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 cloves and the lemon definitely 
you know, just I won't say disguise it because it's not. It's it's the stronger flavor profile for that stuff. Mm -hmm. These are really good after you've been out in the snow. I'll say that. Yeah, not bad. It's a little, little, little cloudy. What's the cloudiness from? Do you think? Uh, it's from the the honey and the uh, the spices. I've actually had this. I had the uh, the honey and the spices and the lemon juice. It's it's fresh lemon juice, so it's the cloudiness is mostly from the lemon juice. Okay. I had steeping all morning, and then once we got in here to the studio, I added the the scotch and then poured in the boiling water. So. Okay. Not bad. Mr. Mac, scale of 1 to 10, what do you give Eric's Aukentoshin hottest of toddies? I, on, on the hot toddy scale, I was making these myself um, over, over last winter um, oh, cool. as, as something to help with sore throats along the way as well, but just to, to just have in the evening. And uh, I was using a lot of honey-related alcohol, so like, um, like Jim Beam has, a, has one mm. as a so mine were mm -hmm. a lot more honey flavor to them. I do like this a lot better than the ones I was making. So, um, so I will have to switch to Eric's recipe now. And uh, you're welcome. But the um, I like them. I could sit there and, and sip these in, the, in a nice cold evening. So I'm gonna yeah. go. I'm gonna write ten. Wow. Have we Strong ever had? Ten? Have we ever had anything at ten? I I don't know. No. I'm not sure we had other than log of one. You know, because that's no, like that that's... Was, I don't even know if was I don't even know if that was a ten. I don't think we were doing number yeah. scale back then. No, it's true. Um, so at, some point, at some point, we named it the Logavolan scale for Scott. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. I think we kind of okay. gotten away well, from it as as we've started trying other scotches and other you know playing around with other you know, space eyes and Highland scotches and all different stuff. Um, we kind of got away from the the Logavolan scale per se. Um, we could still use it probably for Isla scotches. Um, Eric, what's your score? Um, yeah, I'm going to give this a, an 8.5 because, uh, yeah, it's really good. Okay. Um, I, I definitely, it's fine because I usually will do toddies using rum and uh, a spiced tea, among other things, uh, like a more of a hot buttered rum kind of a thing. So this is actually lighter and less sweet. You know what I mean? It's it's definitely that the citrus is more, is more powerful and uh, it, it yeah. feels more refreshing. If that, which is odd for a winter beverage, but it just feels more refreshing than the, the heavier stuff. So I like it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would, I would kind of, if, if I was making this myself, I think I would end up probably doing sort of what Mac is doing, where I'd give it a little bit more honey for throat and a little bit, you know, keep the lemon up where it is, maybe a little bit less clove, because um, mm -hmm. I'm not a huge fan of cloves. Um, but all in all, it's, it's, it's much better than I expected it to be. And that's not to do with, Eric's, you know, recipe or Eric's, you know, quality <laughs> of work, so to speak. Um, right, right. I was expecting this. Realistically, I was really expecting to score this about it too. Um, <laughs> I would say it, it, I have a low, but that's what I was expecting. Um, yeah. I'd say I'm going to give it a, a solid seven, and that's I'm, I'm I'm impressed. So, cheers, Mac, Eric, cheers, both of you. Yeah. Happy holidays, guys. Indeed. Happiest of the holidays. <sighs> We're mm. almost done 2020. <laughs> Here's hoping we make it through the holidays. <laughs> yeah. That light at the end of the tunnel, a train. <laughs> no, 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 no. Ah, uh, yes. Thank God.
I think positive, right? Yeah, I think positive. Well, you you had me talking about you had talking about logable one, Eric. Now, now I got now I got to sneak out my secret stash of logable one. <laughs> uh, I wondered if you're gonna have a backup. I thought you might do that. Of course, I have a backup. Right. I was about to say, how does that how does that taste after having the the citrus? It it tastes very very peaty and very iodiney, but it's also I think because of what I just had in front of it, it's kind of right. screwed up the palate, but. I'll power through. I'll find a way, Eric, to power through. I, I, I won't give up. You got this, fam. You can do it. Indeed. All right, boys and girls, load in the questions. You know the drill. Ask us whatever you want to ask us, and we will answer your questions. Open book, as always. Um, Mr. Eric, let's start off with one that you got over there. What do you got? Uh, I'm going to go towards the top of the chronological ones we got. Uh, this question is from Jonathan King, and he was basically asking, very, very important question actually for a lot of us, how do you size yourself for a kilt jacket? He says he's a big guy, he's a 52 natural waist, so are there special considerations he has to worry about? Can he trust off the peg sizes? What do you do if you want a jacket? Um, the most off the peg jackets or off the rack jackets, if you want to call them that, um, fit, I would say 80 to 90% of people very easily. Um, the one, the problem that we run into is if somebody has a real big belly and you know smaller rounder shoulders, or it, conversely, if you got you know Arnold Schwarzenegger, real real jacked, huge chest, broad shoulders, and a tiny waist. Um, so if it's if it's an argyle jacket and vest or a, something that's like stock supported from whatever manufacturer. I'd say just you know verify their their return policy, their exchange policy, order it, try it on, see what happens. Um, for ours specifically, we generally tell people go up about a size. So if you're a 43 or a 44 inch chest, we tell people go up to a 46. I myself am about a 46 inch chest. I actually wear a 48. Um, the jackets, the off the peg style jackets, for the most part taper down a little bit for the waist. So if you're the type of gent who has a 52 inch chest and a 52 inch or 54 inch belly, you're gonna wanna kinda pad the jacket size up a little bit just to make sure you can actually close it around the belly. But um, it's, not, it's not a problem for most companies because they're gonna take uh, swap out sizes or accept, accept returns on, um, on stock jackets like an Argyle or like a PC. The only time it would be a little funky potentially is if you're doing like a tweed jacket and vest or something that's custom, then you want to make sure you're getting the, the measurements bang on. Right. And we, we always recommend that uh, once you get a jacket, at least from us, uh, it's worthwhile to have a tailor local to you check it out because there's no such thing as a perfect fit from an off the peg or off the rack jacket for anybody. Kilt wear, regular Saxon suits, any of that, none of it is ideal to most guys. Which is why you can you can immediately tell the difference between a guy who's been to the tailor to have his suit, you know, fitted a little better, and a guy who just went to men's warehouse and grabbed the jacket. Okay, see ya, and just throws it on to go do his job. So yeah, it's worth the time to have a tailor look it over and tweak things for you a tiny bit. Yeah, it's. It, I'd say I'd say this: a within budget, b within uh, within reasonable tolerance um if you happen to if the jacket happens to fit you perfectly or you're an average proportioned kind of guy then you may not need to and i would say 
the vast majority of people feel that their jacket fits fine and don't end up going to do that. Yeah. Um, if you do want a very, very, very precise thing, then sure, go to a tailor to have it tweaked a little bit. Yep. Very good. Mr. Mac, why don't you join us and ask us a question? Hey, I'm back. Ta -da. So we have uh, Ethan, Ethan Mouse asking, I was thinking about doing Highland Athletics. What is the best type of kilt to wear for the for the games? Mm. Sure. Um, the best type of kilt to wear for the games is the one you don't mind getting messed up. If you don't have a kilt, you're you know you're you just want to get into it. You don't have any kilts. You're not sure. Then I'd say look at a ca or your know, our casual kilt or another company's lower price kilt. Something 100 bucks, 120 bucks and under. Um, you don't want to spend a ton of money because you're going to have, you know, the chalk, you're going to have the potentially pine tar, that kind of stuff. You're going to be in mud, depending on the conditions. You don't want to get something that's going to be so, you're going to be so nervous about getting any kind of, you know, schmutz on it that it's going to affect your day or affect your mood or whatever. So I'd say something for the most part in the lower end, or if you happen to have an older kilt and you don't care if you screw it up a little bit, sure, do that. Like uh, there are guys or Highland athletes who will compete in eight yard traditional kilts. And there are other guys who will compete in, you know, the, the cheapest of cheap kilts just because they have to wear it for the competition. Yeah. I mean, from, from our neck of the woods, I would recommend doing the polyviscose because it's machine washable and it's lightweight. It's, it's going to be more comfortable in the heat and, uh, and yeah, it's easier to deal with, you know, with the, with the, with the environment yeah. and the mess. There's yeah, there's no right answer or wrong answer. It's, you know, whatever's within your budget and whatever you don't mind getting, you know, messed up a little bit. Yeah. Cool. Hope that helps. I would, go with, I would go with the casual. I would definitely go with the casual kilt if, if they if he's shopping with us. But Yeah. Agreed. Mr. Eric. All right. All right. If you got young kids who are getting into kilts, what accessories do they absolutely need versus what can wait a little while if you're getting a kid set up with a kilt. Sure. <clears throat> um, first thing I'm gonna get them obviously is the kilt. Um, when you get a kilt, make sure that you have a hem put in it. Like in our kids' kilts, we do put a hem in it. Um, I'm not sure what other companies do or don't do, but you wanna be able to drop the hem so that it can grow with the child. The child will most likely outgrow it height-wise before they do waist-wise. So you wanna make sure that the length is gonna be a little bit adjustable for you. Outside of the kilt, I'd say really the, the sporin, if I'm, I'm picturing back when like when Liam was a child or a little child, um, I'd say sporin, kilt, and maybe a set of hose and little tiny flashes or even just the hose themselves. Um, that's really it. You don't need a ton. You know, you can wear a, a, a nice shirt. You can wear a, you know, a, a regular, a little kid sized, you know, dress shirt little kid-sized polo shirt if it's a casual event, a little vest. Um, it's Things are a lot more forgiving with children than they are with adults. So no one's going to hold it against you if you don't have a properly tailored Argyle jacket and vest for a little Johnny who's two years old because everybody knows he's going to outgrow it in two months. So you kind of, kids are a bit of a moving target that way. Um, but yeah, it's, it's pretty basic. I'd say hose, uh, kilt itself and it's worn. Eric? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was just gonna say, I think you reach a tipping point where, um, like a, if they're like 10 to 12, 
um, you know, maybe getting a 13, where basically, you know, they're just on the cusp, and you might have been debating whether or not to get a kid spawn or not. If you're like a 10-year-old, even though it's going to look a little big and a little clunky for a while, go for a regular full-size spawn. I mean, don't get an expensive one, but get them, get them a day spawn um, that uh, they can grow into, because you're going to get a lot more use out of that. Uh, even if it looks a little too big on them this year, then next year it'll be a little more proportional and then a little more and then it's gonna be their sporn. Um, kids sporns I think are more appropriate for, you know, either ladies who want to have a sporn as a kind of an accessory um, and they want it to be a little more dainty or for kids who are under 10. You know, so, so if you're really concerned about them looking really picturesque for a wedding or something like that, then, uh, then you might want to invest in that versus a full-size sporn. But as soon as you're able or if they're on that cusp of age, Go with the full-size spore and you'll get more mileage out of it. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. I'd also, I'd say that um, depends on the size of the child to some degree as well. If you have a real big kid, then it may be 10. I would probably bump it up to 11 or 12, maybe not a whole lot more than what you said. Um, just trying to think of where I was at age 13 and age 12, height-wise, you know, frame-wise, that kind of thing. I probably could have done a, a the largest kid spore in, to gotten away with it till about 13 or 14. But it's, if you're gonna have it for a while, like gotten away with it, meaning it might've looked a little bit small by the time I got to 14. But if I'm gonna, if the kid is 12 years old, yeah, get him an adult spawn. I agree with but, that. Yeah, I would say basic pair of hose, like uh, the cotton hose are probably a good idea. <clears throat> and then, uh, you know, whatever other accessories, just regular shirts and ties and stuff. Um, yep. A vest, a kid-sized vest, like you'd buy around Easter time, in any department store, is fine. Yeah, you, know, you don't need to go for the whole Argyle set. Yeah, I wouldn't overthink it too much. Yeah. Cool. All right, Mr. Mac. All right, so we have William asking, what brand or flavor of whiskey will we all be toasting with on Christmas and New Year's? <laughs> hmm. It depends if I get to the uh, to the liquor store or not. <laughs> the uh, I was looking into that recently. The uh, uh, there's not a whole the, the ones that I want the Shield Egg and a few other ones aren't really available local. I may have to uh, may have to make a road trip. Um, what are we gonna toast with on New Year's? Oh, Eric, what are you drinking New Year's Eve? What's the one that you got that you're gonna break out? Well, <clears throat> I mean, uh, you see, I'm, I'm a little bit of a different circumstance. I will be toasting with mead starting on the 21st. Uh, but for New Year's Eve, for like a Hogmanay thing, um, currently I'm kind of really liking the Macallan. You know, I got that bottle from us doing a try here, and I've really liked it ever since. So it's and and it's one my wife doesn't mind also, which doesn't hurt. Um, so yeah, probably gonna be that. I had um, somehow I acquired, and not sure how, but I ended up with a bottle of. Uh, Glenfiddich 18, and I also have Glenfiddich 12. Glenfiddich, Glenfiddich, not, forget how to say it, but anyway, I had a 12 and an 18, and I was like, I was, you know, just hanging out. I'm like, yeah, I'll drink this one tonight. And I was uh, drinking the 18, had a, a you know, a, a single glass of the 18, and I was like, oh, I really, really like this. And then a couple days later, I'm like, oh, I'm gonna try the 12, and I did not like it nearly as much. So I started looking, shopping for the 18, and I was just like, Damn, that's expensive. Okay, <laughs> I may have to suffer with the 12 for a little bit. Um, I think the, that's where I'm at, basically. That's why I'm at, yeah. I, you know, this year I need to, I need to take it easy. 
money wise. Anything over, anything over the hundred dollar mark in scotch feels a bit of a luxury to me. Um, like even more so than you know than most. Um, yeah. I would probably say I'm I'm digging the Oban recently. I'm digging the Shield Egg. I'm kind of come off of the PD a touch. You know, Lagavulin's always a good one though. So somewhere in there, Jura or not not Jura, um, the Dalmore. Um, I do enjoy that one. Um, oh, you know, so, now you mention it. Yeah, now that you mention it, we had we had Dalmore that that guy gave us at Celtic Classic a few years ago. I really liked that. I yeah. would invest in that one again. Yeah, well. <laughs> That one's quite. That one was quite an investment. I know, that's what we say, invest. Yeah. I think it was, there was the Dalmore Twenty Five, which was a hell of a gift that we got. Um, the uh, uh, shout out to Andy. Da no, actually, Andy Davidson, the guy whose uh, family owns Glencairn Glasses. Um, so anyway, yeah, I'd, I'd say yeah, one of those is what I would uh, uh, break out for for New Year's and the, the holidays, as it were. Mr. Mac, do you have anything in particular that you're looking to? Uh, break into in the holidays bed <laughs> spoken like a true sleep. parent sleep. <laughs> lots of sleep i feel you i feel you man yep now that's about it bed, bed or couch after dinner both, both. <laughs> you really your, both. You, need your, you need your early evening nap and then you need your full evening sleep so mm -hmm. yeah both agreed I think for, for my house, it'll depend on who's Zoom and who, you know, it'll basically be, uh, you know, what we're doing with uh, extraneous family members or people in our community that we're trying to hang out with. So, yeah, but definitely want to get some rest in there somewhere, somehow. So it's been a year. Never enough. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes, it has. Very good. All right. Was that Eric? Was that you or was that Mac? That was Mac. All right. Load them up. What do we got? Uh, Charles Marx said, uh, and this is this is a little more, you know, philosophical, lifestyley one. Uh, let's say, for the sake of argument, you're a newbie kilt wearer and you've been invited to a really nice dinner, like a burn supper or a hogmany party, or a Christmas party, etc. But you don't have a dress born, and you don't have a nice fancy jacket, like a PC or something. Would we recommend? that this person dress up their kilt as best they can, you know, a nice shirt, tie, you know, whatever, and just go with it, or rent something, or skip the whole thing and do a Saxon wear outfit and wait until they've saved up enough money to actually get the dress accessories, because otherwise they're not doing it right. How would you, how would you break that down? It would, I would say this, it would depend on where the, who is hosting the event, right. and the the event itself and what pieces of the kit you have or don't have here's the example <clears throat> for burn suppers typically they're more a little bit more casual a little more day wear so even even like the saint andrew's burn supper that you know i go to on occasion is tweed jacket and vest it's not prince charlie so it's not formal um so i'd say in that instance if you had a dress shirt tie and uh, uh, a tweed vest whether a, a, a real kilt tweed or a, a regular tweed vest that happens to fit well with a kilt, you might be able to make it work. If it is a formal-ish occasion, a formal occasion, so you're, you are supposed to wear a PC, you are supposed to wear a dress born, and that is the, the dress that is dictated or, or requested by the host, then I would say, um, I hate to say don't wear a kilt, but 
you can maybe rent the rest of the outfit except for the kilt. Maybe you can rent pieces and parts if you have the hose and the shoes and the, uh, maybe a semi-dress sporing, but you still want to rent a jacket. Maybe there. Um, again, it depends on the host because a lot of people that go to a, a you know, St. Andrew's dinner or something like that may not actually have the right thing to wear. So you'll see even at a formal event where people are supposed to know what they're doing, you'll still see people in an Argyle jacket, not a PC. Or you'll still see people with a day sporn or a semi-dress, not a dress sporn. It's not the end of the world. You have to kind of know your audience, know how much your audience knows, um, and, and feel your way around. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't let it stop me. I, yeah, maybe, maybe do a rental, maybe rent part of it. Um, it would be a shame to just kind of pack it in and say, nah, I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to wear a suit. It's fine. Um, especially if everyone else is in a kilt and especially if they want people in a kilt. They're yeah. gen generally, I don't think people are going to make fun of you or look down on you. They're just going to say, well, that's what he has. So he's just doing what he's got. Um, so, but the, the cost effective way in my mind would be rent pieces, parts of the outfit and just, you know, wear the kilt that you got. I totally agree. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, a lot of events these days are not as formal as you might think they are um, in in the States. If it's an office holiday party, you could probably just get away with a vest and nobody's going to look askance at it. Um, but if there is a dress code, if it is something like it is at, you know, the, the, the lodge hall in downtown Center City and it's a really big to do, then yeah, rent a jacket. Um, a lot of time, if it's mixed company, I mean, the examples you gave were uh, very Scottish type things like a burn supper or hogmany. But a lot of things you're going to be invited to, it may be you're the only guy in the kilt or one of a few guys in the kilt. And a lot of people who don't know any better will assume you are more dressed up simply because you're wearing a kilt. And in their world, nobody wears a kilt except maybe for a special occasion like a wedding, um, if that. So gauge the audience. Like Rocky said, gauge the audience and decide um, what's going to be appropriate. You would do that anyway, you know what I mean? Like you wouldn't wear a, a gray flannel suit. I'm showing my age. You wouldn't wear a gray striped suit to a black tie thing where they said you need a tuxedo. You'd probably rent a tuxedo. Um, so it's the same deal. You know, if you need the jacket for that one very special occasion and it's a photo op, you know, then um, yeah, rent the jacket. But uh, yeah, it's, it's context. It really is. An office party, you're probably fine in a lot of cases, honestly. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to draw this quick parallel as well. <clears throat> Don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. The I specifically remember going to a St. Andrews, uh, a St. Andrews Day dinner with the St. Andrews Society, and the dignitary who came over to give the speech for the dinner was actually some I forget who he was, but he was some uh, bigwig in Scotland, Minister of Defense, something something whatever. Um, Anyway, he had on a Prince Charlie jacket and vest and kilt and a day sporn. Oops. I'm probably <laughs> one of the only people in the room to know, even at that level of an event where they are supposed to know what they're doing. And well, for the most part, they do. I'm not down, you know, kicking the St. Andrews Society because they're great people. But the uh, uh, even at that event, no one either A, they knew it and they didn't say anything because it wouldn't be polite or B, they had no idea. It was just the guy had on his sporin that he owns, period. So again, it's it comes down to no one is going to call you out on it. And if they do, they're being rude for calling you out on it. 
And I'd, I'd be willing to bet, yeah, it's either it's just, yeah, that's my Sporn. Or it's the Sporn he was willing to take with him on a flight overseas. He didn't want to Ooh, risk the, the, antique, the antique dress Sporn that he inherited from his grandfather, you know? Because so, of the fact that maybe Seal. That's a good point. I never thought about that. Yeah. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Very good point. So maybe he did know what he was talking about. Now, see, now I look like a jerk for calling him out. Damn it. Edit. <laughs> cut it. Done. Nope. We'll cut this. Didn't say cut that. this out. I said cut it. Cut it. Ow! <laughs> Next question. Was it Mac? Oh. It's Mac's yep. turn. Mr. Mac? It is my turn. Mr. So Mac. I think before we get to this question, we should probably say what tartans we're wearing because that has become a question in the, th in the feed. Very good. What, yep. what tartan are you wearing today, Mr. Mac? What tartan am I wearing? I am wearing the County Crest Limerick tartan today. Very nice, very nice. And I noticed the gold sweater that would match that very nicely. Uh, yes, Mr. Eric, what do you have on today? I've got dun 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 Philadelphia Police and Fire. I can see that. Ta da! I can't Thank usually stand for, up. Thank there you, you for getting up and showing us your crotch. <laughs> I gotta make it special somehow. I, I wear this kilt often. It's one of my favorites, so I apologize. It's nothing really that special, guys, but uh, it is absolutely one of my favorites. So it is something we get a lot of every time you wear it, and we we that the videos on the YouTubes. Um, we do get a lot of questions about that one in particular. A lot of people yeah. seem to like that one. It's it's very yeah. different, very unique. Yeah, and and I, I I'm still always amused that this was the reject from from the band that this was, was like the one that was just not not dark enough for them. Yeah, like, well, okay, it's, I'll it, take it. The 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 blue, <clears throat> the lighter blue was a little. Uh, check check that the royal blue was a little bit too royal for what they were going for. I think they were trying to match a particular part of their uniform and a uniform shirt or something like that. So. It's understandable. I still yeah. I like the I like the official one better, but I know you're you were a blue fan, so I give it to you. Yeah. The today I have on the weathered Mackenzie tartan. This is one that we actually ended up with a little bit of extra cloth in the production area, and I said, you know what? I think I might need a uh, box pleated kilt in that. So I uh, have a box pleated kilt in the Mackenzie tartan. And hey, since we can stand up, since we're doing the thing, I don't know how wrinkly my pleats are now. Yeah, box pleats, man. Shake what your mama gave you. Yeah. Wow, that, that toddy went straight to your head, didn't it? Ah, uh, yes. No, not even close yet. <laughs> I, have three, I have three more of these glasses lined up back there. It's great. Wow. Wow. No, okay. I'm calling Alan on. <laughs> anyway. No, so I, I don't have any more. I have my little glass of scotch that I'm nursing. I know. I know. I know. I know. Be responsible, guys. Even from a scotch standpoint, be responsible. Um, exactly. So I think it's Mac's turn then with a question, right? Yes, Mr. Mac. So we do have a question about uh, a certain tartan that uh, I think this group is, is famous for. Um, so will there be more KNC woven in wool? This question comes from Mike Power. Done. Hold on. Let me get my coffee now. Mr. Mike Power. Yes. We have heard you. We are responding. The, uh, yes, we're going to do it. People still keep asking us for it. And it's one of those just like, I, Jesus, I wish I would have done more. So, yes, we're going to get to it. I promise. 
yes, we will have that available for pre-order. And I think it's actually on the website right now, but yeah, we do have it on the website in wool. It's listed as pre-order Tartan. Um, and then I think we're gonna close the orders for it probably January 10th-ish, somewhere that kind of time frame. Um, and then, you know, basically figure out how much we gotta order, order it with the mill, and you know, three, four months later, we'll have the cloth and knock out the gilts for you guys. So yes, we are gonna order it. Yes, it is on the plate. Yes, we are gonna get it done, along with the cap badge and all the other stuff. At some point, don't, don't get ahead of yourselves. <laughs> I Conversely, I'm amazed at the level of interest. I think it's, it's, it's awesome. The uh, <clears throat> group has become a really awesome tight-knit community, and I think it's great that people want to show it off, you know? I mean, yes, you designed a good Tartan Rocky, but it's the, the esprit de corps of the group is has always astonished me. So it's, yeah. it's cool. No, it's, it's just cool to watch. Yeah, no, the group has taken off. The, the, the members are what make the group. And I cannot say that enough. I mean, I'm, I'm not in there every single day, all day. I'm the admin, but the mods, you know, do what they do. They do a great job running the group. Um, but the members, and the moderators are what make the group what it is. And I, when we thought of this idea of doing our Facebook group, um, you know, two, three years ago, whatever it was now, um, I, I can't, I know we had like a false start. We, we made it and then we didn't tell anyone about it. We weren't gonna do it, we weren't sure. And then we just right. said, nah, just let's go, let's do it. Let's make this real. Um, mm -hmm. But I could never have imagined what it would blossom into. I could never have imagined how awesome the people were gonna be that were gonna be in it, how kind people were gonna be, knowing the the, the vitriol that you see all all the other corners of the web. Um, it's, and you know, making sure that we have the, uh, the don't be a jerk is the number one rule and you know, members ascribing to that rule. It's, it's been, it's been awesome. It's been beyond what I ever thought was gonna be possible. Yeah. I think more than one person has commented that it's been really helpful this year, especially with everything yeah. going on. So, and, and the fact that guys are actually taking the time to go outside and take selfies of themselves, you know, it's like, Hey, you know, I can't go anywhere today. We're locked down, but screw it. I'm going to put my kilt on and, and show you guys. And it's great. It, it's, it's a service, you know? So it's just, I just, I love it. I love it. I just wish I could spend There's more time on there. <laughs> there's absolutely, there's something to that. Here, here's, and I'm, psychologically, there's something to that. I was talking to Kelly the other night and uh, uh, something about um, when, you're, when your kids get up in the morning, they must, you know, comb their hair, they must get dressed, they must be showered, they must have a routine, they must feel like they're ready to go out so they don't get depressed. The more, you know, relaxed and bleh you get and with your with your clothing with your hair with everything if you don't try to keep your spirits up you can absolutely slump so i think there really is something especially in 2020 with putting on a kilt just to take photos and put them in the group and to have a little bit of positive reinforcement and i'm not trying to say that everyone needs you know a psychological boost or everyone needs to be the special snowflake that you know everyone has to ooh and out over oh it's a great tart but there is something to it. It does reinforce your your brainwaves or whatever it is, and it makes people feel better about themselves, especially when there's not much to feel better about. Yeah, I think we we talk about kilts having that power anytime. You know, they're just that yeah. they are. An, it's an empowering garment, and just so this year has just really proven that. You know, in in spades. You know, it's just it's, it's yeah, it's more than we even thought. Yeah, and either our group 
other groups, other kilt groups, other, you know, fashion, whatever group you're in, finding like-minded people in an area where you can kind of escape reality for a little bit and hang out with people virtually or whatever. Um, but it's, it really does, it helps, it's needed. I'm glad we have the group. I'm glad it's as strong it is. Yeah. And I hope if you're not a member, you're looking at it and you're joining the group, if you're on the Facebooks, um, cause it's, yeah, it's a cool thing. I can't, I'm, I'm, I'm psyched that we have it period. Cool. Indeed. All right, Mr. Eric, let's ask another question. Okay. Yeah, let's do like the martial arts move with my clipboard. Okay. And ooh, hey, hold on before before we get the question. Snake the shine shine on your... Oh, look at this. We're playing around with doing a uh, uh, new mugs from one of our suppliers. We're going to be able to do clan crests on there. Maybe a few other logos or designs on a few different mugs. So watch this space, as they say. We got some really cool stuff coming out. Indeed. Okay, Quite. enough about us. All right. Uh, Lee was wondering what we'd want, what we would say about alternative sporn types and designs going into the future. Use our imaginations and and discuss new materials, different materials, different designs, different shapes, different features of sporns of the future. And she said she was being specifically vague because she wanted us to shaggy dog about it a little bit. She wants to hear our. our uh, Here's a uh, go off on the idea. Okay. What is, what is the uh, sporn of the future? Um, the sporns in space. <laughs> where, uh, where? Um, I'm not sure. I don't see sporns going in any crazy direction. Um, I would, I'll say this. The kilt is grounded in tradition, period. There are new things, there are fads, there are people taking it different ways, whether with utility kilts, whether the you know, nylon material sporins, um, with you know square-shaped sporins. I know there, I'm remembering specifically there was a vegan sporin, and it was kind of almost like diamond-shaped or like Superman logo-shaped. There's a few different designs, and it's, in my mind, outside of the throwback to like a goat hair spore and something a little bit longer hair. It's all kind of cyclical, but for the most part, the shape, the, 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 the medium to a degree has been established. Will there be slight tangents? Yes. Tangent number one, I've seen uh, hip sacks, fanny packs, whatever you want to call them. Don't call it a fanny pack in the UK. That means something different. Um, at least the word fanny does. Um, so I've seen those try to be used as sporns. No, I give it a straight fail. Done. No, don't do it. Um, sorry, I'm going to be harsh. Next, I've seen with utility kilts specifically, I've seen guys wearing like if they have like the molly strips across the kilt wearing like a a, a a ammo pouch or something like that as a sporin it's it's varying degrees of success it's different than a traditional kilt therefore i'm a little bit more forgiving with the sporin being a little bit different um with utility kilts having pockets you know and and frankly standard utility kilt brand utility kilt having a small apron there's not a 
ton of need for a sparring. So I'll, I can even go that direction as well. For the most part though, I'd say sporins are gonna be stuck on a sideways D shape, or you know, so that's D facing down, or an oval for a dress sporin or a semi-dress sporin. That's not saying that they can't evolve. That's not saying there can't be new traditions or new styles within it. I've seen a couple different sporins with, for instance, instead of leather, a, like a tweed wrap on the leather. So it's a tweed sporin. I've seen sporins with an asymmetrical flap where it kind of comes off to the side and there's a, uh, a horn pin effectively closure to the sporin. I've seen people doing some avant-garde, like, you know, football, sporin, rugby ball, whatever. I've seen those kind of things. So there are different things that you can do with it within the realm of tradition, just kind of taking it in a fashion angle. I don't see steering away from fur and leather as anything with real staying power. Could someone do it? Sure. Would it be successful over an extended period or be accepted into Man. traditional Highland wear? Nah, probably not. Yeah, I don't disagree. I mean, I can imagine all kinds of things, but uh, it really, it's mostly comes down to fashion alternative stuff. I think the, the basic design, it's kind of, one of the first things they teach you in like art school is form follows function, right? Uh, that's what you, they teach you in design. And a basic sporin is the sh shape it is and has retained for the past hundred years because it's kind of, it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, I mean, the idea of a pocket, you open the flap, you reach in, you're done. It's kind of hard to improve on that. I mean, you can you can add things to it from a stylistic standpoint, like Rocky said, like from, from an artistic standpoint, you can monkey around with it. I could see maybe more technical sporins with more, um, you know, specialty side pockets and stuff like that coming in. Um, and like you said, Rocky, I think with the, with utility kit, kilts and the and the the fashion the fashion end as opposed to the traditional end, you might see some more funky stuff. Um, I could see a different bag shape, maybe like a, a geometric, like you said when you said the Superman shield. I was like, yeah, actually, that could kind of work in an interesting kind of way, like in a in kind of a ultra future, you know, or ultra heavy metal-y kind of um subculture statement piece kind of a thing but other than maybe adding some other technical things to theoretically make it better like i could see maybe a side zip pocket on the back so you just have your credit card in back and you don't have to open up the main pocket to get your credit card stuff like that but otherwise i don't really see it changing much now i will be on board when they have the led light up sporins that you can program so you can have different messages and different designs you know, like, oh, I feel like a wolf head today. So you have like a red glowing wolf head on your sporn. And then maybe the next day you go with, you know, a, a Highland coup photorealistic, you know, cyber cyberpunk sporn. You can you can put me down for that. As soon yeah. as I design one of those, well, you'll be the first on the list. Thanks. Thanks. Appreciate it. Oh, oh, I, I had another thought and I forget <laughs> that just that's yeah, no. No. But I think that that's that's the, the reason I think sporns change is A, because somebody wants to make a statement, or B, they want a, something special to stand out in a certain context, which is why some of the more experimental designs are dress sporns. You know, the funky furs and the funky finishes and cantles, it's not a dress sporn because you're trying to be the bell of the ball, you're trying to be the peacock. So if you imagine a more avant-garde gathering, like you know, techno rave or something, then maybe somebody's going to invent a sporn that looks cool under blacklight, you know, but 
But the basic design, it's not broken, so you're not going to try and fix it. There's nothing, you can't compete with this. It's just like, boop, boop, done. Yeah. You yeah. Know? I, I would say this. The, 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 the drivers of change are going to be a couple things. One, will tradition, will it not, if fashion to start with, but it has to evolve and it has to stick around. And if it doesn't stick, then it's not going to become tradition. Two would be a functional thing. The, for instance, either functional or cost. Functional, meaning the top on a dress board used to be a hinged cantle, like a coin purse. Um, and then it became just the front because you didn't really need a hinge. Um, that was due to cost. Another thing that I started doing on our sporns that we had made for us back in 2007 would be putting internal pockets for business cards or, or your credit card or whatever inside the sporn. I started doing that back then and a lot of company, yeah, exactly. A lot of companies have followed suit doing stuff similar to that. The other two that I will say over longer periods of time would be one, the depth of the gusset has gotten a little bit deeper over time and the size of the sporin over time has increased a little bit. Meaning the, the footprint of the actual leather bit, not the hair, like a goat hair sporin, but as people have gotten a little bit bigger, as their hands have gotten a little bit bigger, as you want to put more stuff in the sporin and have access to it, the size of the sporin has increased a bit over time. Not, you know, 100%, it's now the whole front of the apron, but I'd say 10%, 15%, maybe a little bit. Um, the So the more functional aspects of it would increase in, in popularity as a direction I could see it going and sticking. I could, I could almost see a thing where you have a sporin with a more greater acceptance of other things on your belt happening. Like you have a sporin and a sporin chain and maybe there's a little sidecar pocket over here. And the reason I point that out is because you and I have both had issues fitting big honking cell phones into sporins. And I think at some point, if people's personal gear changes, then they're gonna wind up coming up with other solutions. Like Lance downstairs, he uses a, one of the bagpiper uh, belt pouches to carry his, his notebook and his phone in. Cause it's just not practical to have it in his sporin. So, if the, if the other gear you carry changes, then the sporin may change to accommodate. But I don't see it being major. More likely other things added to your kit rather than a change to the sporin. I would, I would say this though, I don't think that would affect the sporin or the sporin chain so much as what's worn on the belt. Right, and exactly. It, yeah. You don't want to look like you know, Batman with a utility belt and 27 different pouches all around you. We did it. We did a joke about that once. We did no, we no. did that thing with Jason. Yeah. You're not going into war with the Joker, but you want to have your stuff that you need. So yeah. Yeah. Indeed. Mr. Mac, next question, please. Alrighty, so we've got an interesting one here. I don't know if we've talked about this before or not, but flipping treasures wants to know why are kilts pleated i think that was that was on my list too um, and i think that's I, it's it's such a simple question that i think people would forget it it's actually a really good question so yeah I, i'd say you. this if, if i had to guess um i'd say starting with the great kilt the feel of more um where it's hand pleated laid out on the ground it's um it's a matter of just 
two things. One, being able to wrap, you know, four to five yards of cloth around yourself. Two, restricting, restricting your movement. If I had a four yard blanket, that was my clothing, my house, my turtle shell, my, you know, my hood, everything. Um, you want to have it in affixed to you in such a way that you can still move. So wrapping it around yourself, you know, a couple times is going to restrict your arms and torso. You won't be able to do anything. So you have to figure out a way to kind of leave it loose and, and baggy so you can still move around. Um, so that's why the pleating in my mind probably would have evolved. And now when you're and forget your torso, your legs, I mean, I can't imagine wearing something, you know, mini skirt esque or, you know, to the knee skirt esque that is wrapped around your legs with no give whatsoever. Multiple times you would be mummified. You'd be like waddling away from the enemies down the, <laughs> the weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. Yes. I want to see a weeble. <laughs> Um, now I'm dating myself, but, uh, yeah, it's, I think it's really a, a matter of, in that instance, just practicality. Yeah. I would say it's, <clears throat> excuse me. I think it's a combination. Like you said, it's, uh, the, the, because the kilt evolved from a much larger, more voluminous garment, the pleats wound up being retained because, well, it's traditional. It, why wouldn't you have them? That's the way it's always been, you know, okay, yeah, we cut it in half to make a, a walking kilt and all that kind of stuff, but you know, you still have a lot of fabric. Um, it could be that it was desirable from an insulative standpoint. Um, sitting on a group of pleats in cold weather is more comfortable than sitting on a single layer of fabric in cold weather. Um, there's, a, there's a group of monks in Japan actually called the, uh, um, the Yamabushi, and they will wear a deer pelt on their butts because it's a rainy, wet, cool environment up in the mountains, so they want something they can sit on. And I think that having the extra fabric in the back of the kilt accomplishes the same purpose. If you look at male unbifurcated garments in other parts of the world, they're usually less voluminous, but they're also much warmer climates. So like if you look at a dhoti in India or a sarong in Southeast Asia, um, they'll wear them so that they can the fabric layers can separate so you can move your legs but they are restrictive and I have worn them. So, and yes, you do feel a little bit more restricted, um, but they're much cooler because it's a hot, humid climate. You don't want the extra layers and you're not worried about keeping your butt warm. <laughs> you have to be perfectly crass about it. Um, but at the same time, they will also wrap those garments up between their legs if they have to do some physical labor or fight. That's where the whole expression of girding your loins comes from was because taking the fabric of your robe back in the bronze age and bunching it up between your legs so it wasn't in your way and your, you, your legs could move. We don't have that issue with a kilt. Never really have. Um, so no, nobody ever, there's no tradition of people taking a kilt and wrapping it through their legs to get the excess fabric out of the way. And part of that is because the pleats will splay and allow you to move freely. So I think, yeah, it's part tradition, just bluffo, this is how we've always done it, and part the climate that influenced the retention of that technology. Um, other unbifurcated garments are much simpler. And I think it's just because of where they were invented. It's you? I think it's my turn now. But okay. Unless Max, you're raring to go. Real simple one. Brian French asked us, uh, and he asked the group actually in general, um, do you hang it up or do you roll it up? Which is better and why? Why would you choose one or the other? For me personally, it is hanging, period. The uh, 
<clears throat> I'm gonna give a mini plug here, so I apologize for the commercial. Um, we have our kilt hangers, our four, kip, four clip kilt hangers. They support the weight of the kilt across the entire top. Um, when we did those, we made them 20 inches wide because most closets are between, at very even in old houses, they are 10 inches or 11 inches from the center of the bar to the back of the closet, if not 12 or 14 inches to the back of the closet. Um, it allows for, in my closet, to line up you know, all you know, 25, 30, 50, whatever I have, kilts all in the bar, and I have a lot more hanging room than I do uh, drawer space for myself personally. The And since the kilts are supported the entire way across the top of the kilt, it's less, you're, you're less likely to have pleats splay and stuff like that, where they kind of, the pleats just kind of do that over time. Um, yeah, it's, it's nicer to me to be able to see all of them Hey, you spent a lot of money on kilts. It's nice to sit there and look at them in your closet and see them all laid out before you as you walk in there and decide what shirt you're gonna wear with it and that kind of stuff. I had a, this is a tangent, but I don't care, I'm doing it anyway. I had a weird th thought the other day. I'm like, you know what? There'd be a weird like niche in a niche in a niche market for <clears throat> if somebody has like a full big walk-in closet, setting it up like a retail store for kilts. <laughs> Have like all your kilts hanging down the wall, all your jackets there, the hose all lined up nicely. So every morning you go in and you feel like you can just like shop till your heart's content in your own closet. I'm like, uh, yes. Yeah, oh, oh, today I'll take this one. Thank you, Jeeves. This box there for me. Oh. Um, no. I could, I'm, I had too much fun thinking about that. But the, uh, yeah, it's to me, Hanging them seems easier and takes up less knowing drawer space and trying to, you know, pull through things and that kind of thing. Yeah, I think rolling is okay. If you're in a if you're in a, a small apartment, you know, if you're like if you're like in a three bedroom place and you're sharing it with two other guys and you've got like a room to yourself, then yeah, okay. You know, roll it gently, carefully, and keep it neatly in a drawer, that's fine. But the hangers especially if you start collecting, are a lot easier. And somebody else made the same point you did on the group about um, it's nice to be able to go in and just see them all there and and select the one you want, you know? And, and it's like, oh, okay. So we were doing Mary Kondo stuff long before Mary Kondo came along then. Because like, oh, does this kilt arrangement bring me joy? Yes, it does. Today I will wear the Maxwell, you know? So um, well, seriously, it, it, it's, efficient, it's efficient and it's it's nice. And it's better for the yeah. kilt. It really is. Yeah. The there and I would say this: it's if you have more than four kilts, some guys have one or two, and that's fine. Or they only ever want one because it's their family target, and that's it. Then rolling it would be fine because you know exactly where it is, and it's rolled, and it's in this particular drawer. If you have four, five, six, twenty, fifty kilts, then you want to see them all so you can pick the one that you want to wear. So there's a little bit of practicality there as well. Yeah. Very Absolutely. good. Mr. Mac, who do we got next on the Facebook scene? <laughs> well, I think before we get to the next question, we have to do our... Uh, this month, it is a fellow named Wynn Decker. And Wynn is an amazing guy for a couple of reasons. Uh, for number one, he is absolutely a serial kilter. He got into doing kilts 
several years ago just as an accessory for going to the Ren Fair, as many of us do. Um, but as his interest in his genealogy and heritage expanded, his interest in kilts expanded too. Wait, that sounds really familiar. And he now has, I think he said about 13 kilts in his collection, and he kilts up every day. For about the last 14 months or so, he said he's been a serial kilter wearing kilts basically every day of the week. Um, and that would be enough, you know, to be an ambassador because it's like, cool, you're showing the heritage, man. That's awesome. Um, and you're in it to win it, obviously. But that's not why he's the ambassador this time around. The reason he's an ambassador is because Wynn did something which some of us do and some of us aspire to do, which is he's taken his love of his heritage and he's married it to something vastly more important. And that is, in his case, support of a deadly disease. Um, his wife, Helen, was diagnosed a couple years ago with uh, lupus. And lupus, uh, I didn't know much about until I talked to Wynn, and uh, he filled me in on a lot of stuff I didn't know. I mean, if you're like me, you've been under the impression that lupus is like, oh, that's where people can't go in the sun, right? No, it's not a skin condition. It is not a light sensitive sensitivity thing. It is an immuno deficiency disease where your immune system goes into overdrive and starts attacking the rest of your body. Organs, nervous system, brain, it could be anything. It's insidious and it is really powerful and really debilitating and the mortality rate is something like two-thirds of the victims in 20 years of having the disease and then it drops off after that. There are even four different versions of the disease, and it's very hard to diagnose. Wynn was telling me that basically it took his wife somewhere like six years to get a diagnosis, and that's not unusual. It can take ages just for the doctors to winnow out things that they think it might be to actually get down to the fact that this, oh yeah, okay, this is lupus, you got it. Um, what this resulted for Wynn and for his wife was that they got seriously into advocacy for other people who are suffering from this. Um, Helen writes about it, I gather, extensively, and uh, she and Wynn both became very much involved in the Lupus Awareness Foundation of America, I think I got the name right, uh, to try and raise awareness of the disease and the people who are dealing with it. And this led to the thing that caught our attention, and I'm sure some of you on the Kilton Culture Group, it got your attention too. Wynn went so far as to, to design a tartan just for lupus awareness. Okay, and he basically did it to to try and boost the signal, right? So I had to write this down because there's a lot of details to it. But essentially, da da da. And this is actually a unique tartan right now. Wynn is the only person in the world, as far as I know, who has a kilt in it. But the tartan is out there. It is officially registered with the offices of the Lord Lion in Scotland, and it has the nod from the Support Foundation here in the states. So this is this is a real deal thing. Um, as Wynn put it, basically, purple is the official representative color of lupus. So he made that the dominant color. But, and this, again, it's something people don't know, there's actually four different types of the disease. It's that complicated that they had to subdivide it. So what he did was he tried to include those colors to try and boost a message of hope and representation for the victims. So green is in there for, as he puts it, for rebirth and growth. Blue represents a cloudless, beautiful day basically representing hope for today being better than yesterday, daily progress. Gray is to signify that no matter how cloudy it may get, dark times will pass, you can do this. Red 
is for the fight and the struggle. Um, it's the culture in the community that people who have the disease are referred to as lupus warriors. So the red is basically the fight, the ongoing fight, and it is a daily thing. Uh, the symptoms can be uh, idiosyncratic, they can come and go, they can change. Um, it can be incredibly debilitating. Helen herself, and Wynne said it was okay for me to describe this to you, um, she has been on something like a, co uh, a cocktail of like five or six different meds, plus on top of all that, chemotherapy, in order to try and fight down and beat down her immune system so it's not attacking the rest of her body. And this is what these people are going through. So the fact that Wynne has made this his mission to support his wife, and they have five kids, by the way. So this is this is important. It's a family thing. Um, that's why he's our ambassador. And I think it's incredibly important that we remember that, especially this time of year. Um, we all have our own struggles. We all have our own battles. But you're never alone. And you can do something for the community using what is your passion. In this case, it was you know, for when it was his heritage. And he's going to bring it all together. And that, to me, is a powerful part of the Celtic spirit. That's a powerful part of being an ambassador. And I'd encourage everybody to take a page from Winsbrook. If you want to help, check out lupus.org uh, or support.lupus.org. You can get information there. If you know somebody who's suffering from the disease, you can make a donation. You can just find out if there are events going on in your area. Um, May is a Lupus Awareness Month. Doesn't get as much uh, attention as you might think. Um, so it's worth checking out and try to give a boost if you can. So thank you, Win. Win, Slanchava. Slanchava. All right, what's the next question? Are we talking to Mac or are we uh, Mr. Eric? I gotta recover myself. I'll let Mac do one if he's ready. Okay. <laughs> All right, so we have Ben asking, uh, how do you get your kilt hose look nice after rolling them over flashes? Uh, he says mine look like a inside-out socks, and do he does he need to get certain ones? Certain ones roll better than others. Hmm. Okay. Um. No. Eric, you, do you can you think of what he's trying to uh, you know? Yeah. Can I hear about? the description one more time? He said they look like inside-out <clears throat> socks. Yeah. He says uh, after he rolls them over. He said, mine look like inside-out socks. So I'm, I'm either guessing they're not rolling over far. In, like, maybe he's only getting one roll. Maybe he's getting two. I don't I don't know what hose he's going it with. May, yeah, or maybe the, 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 the cuff on the hose he has is just a very simple design. Sometimes it is, and there's not much to it besides some ribbing. Um, you could try doing getting a larger pair and doing the, the double roll where you bring it up, bring it down, and then fold it back up again fold the cuff back up over itself to get a little bit more of the design showing. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I, it sounds like your ultimate destiny is going to be to get a pair of hose that you like the looks of better. Um, yeah, I personally really on. like the, the, the ones with the cable knit designs on them. I think, you know, the crisscross cable knit, I think that's a lot more attractive. So Yeah, it just depends on the individual brand of hose. Some have a better design inside than others. Some don't really have much. Some just are ribbed straight up to the top. So it, it really boils down to the individual pair. So unfortunately, I can't give you too much of an answer. Um, but yeah, I'd say try a different pair of hose. Yeah, some, pe some people like that minimalistic look. They don't like the bulky uh, cuffs. I mean, uh, for instance, popcorn top hose get a lot of dissing from people who are not bagpipers. And they're like, oh, why would you wear those things? I actually kind of dig them. I mean, in the winter, they feel visually they, they they feel warm to me you know what i mean they have that bulk to them that 
feels good. So, um, you know, explore a little bit. Save up some shekels and get uh, get a couple of pairs and see what you like the best. Yeah, luckily kilos aren't that expensive. And I'll just another thing for the popcorn tapos, especially if you are a gent with smaller calves. The popcorn tapos, since you fold them over twice, give a little bit more girth to the calves and make it look a little bit, you know, beefier, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So, yep. hope that helps. Good luck, Mr. Eric. Yeah. Okay. All right. Edward Montgomery, who's that? I think I know who that Ooh. is. Edward Montgomery, yeah. He said, uh, he was wondering what the rarest tartan we've ever seen in a kilt is. Like, you know, for example, you know, wow, I've only ever seen one kilt in that tartan. Um, I have to say right now, of course, the, the, the rarest one I've ever seen is the lupus tartan because now I, I'm very familiar with it. And uh, there's only one kilt in existence in it so far. But other than that, What's the what's the rarest, most exotic tartan you can think of? Um, the we've done a lot of like individual tartans for single individuals, so those would all be rare by definition of the fact that there's one, um, lupus or otherwise. Um, if I had to pick a tartan that is a stock supported tartan that I have not seen that many of, I'll kind of take it a slightly different tangent. Um, I'd say the Chinese, the Scottish Chinese or Chinese Scottish tartan um, is probably the one that jumps to mind um, where we have a customer, uh, Dexter Hu, very, very nice guy. When he got engaged, he got the Chinese Scottish tartan for he and his wife, that was their wedding tartan. Um, it's a pretty cool design. I think Strathmore does that one. Um, but it's, yeah, it's one of the rarer yet stock supported tartans that I've seen that I think is a, a pretty cool thing. Yeah, it's it's very bold because it's, it's basically based on flag color. So you have a very bright red and some gold for the Chinese flag, right? And then you have blue. Is there yeah, white, white in it also? Yeah. Is there white? Yeah, yeah. It's a really cool design. Um, that's that's a really great example. Matt, yeah. do you have any? What's what's the what's the most unique tartan you've ever seen? Unique tartan? Yeah, unique. Oh. Just like whoa. Weird, unique, rare. Haven't done many of. Yeah, I would say probably the ones that the Polish one. I think uh, does, okay. does Kelly have that one, or or yeah. mom? One of them has it, I think. Yeah, um, that would be more of a unique thing. Uh, again, it's kind of like the Chinese, uh, Scottish Chinese one there as well. Um, but. As far as seeing one in, like not not seeing it in person, I would say the McDuck tartan. Which yes, I'm gonna go on that. I'm gonna go back yes. on that hill, and yes. uh, that would be very unique to see in public. But where, where are we gonna where are we gonna have McDuck tartan in PV, Rocky? When's that happening? When Disney decides that they want us to do it. Yes. Oh, so we'll have we'll just have heritage of McDuck. Okay. Life is like an aeroplane. It's a duck cup. <laughs> Woo. Sorry. You know what? You know what else? Um, since we're sort of keeping it in the family a little bit, um, Mary Queen of Scots, the one your wife did. There's there's yeah. like zero other tartans with pink in them, right? No, there's. I think there's some with pink. Yeah, Hello Kitty has pink in it. Okay. Yeah. Um, the but yeah, that's yeah the Mary Queen of Scots tartan that Kelly did. That one is very original, different, and doesn't. Is it over there? Yeah, it's, it's on the wall behind me. Yep. Yeah. 
Um, it's the one, the second one in, I believe, um, yes. behind Eric. Yeah, the uh, that one is pink. Yeah, there's there's a few uh, a few different ones, but it's kind of a, it's a difficult one to to nail down because the more rare it is, the less it comes to mind because we did it once. Yeah, you're not gonna see it. I'm, I'm sure there are lots of tartans out there that have never seen the light of day because somebody designed them for themselves. And let's say they did actually register it and just have it sitting on a sketchbook, you know, in their living room. But you'll never see it outside of the tartan registry. You know, and there's some interesting ones. There's ones that you might not want to weave. Let's be fair. There's a few out there where it's like, yeah, I love the symbolism. Design, uh, you know. But but in terms of actually getting woven, you know, that's, yeah, yeah I, think, I, think, I think that was a good example you gave. Cool. All right. Next question. Pretty please, Mr. Eric. Is it Eric or Mac? It's, it's Mac. Mac's turn now. No. All right. I, this is screwing me up. I can't remember. <laughs> I'm bringing this shot. <clears throat> All right. So we have Mark asking, do any Irish County tartans or even Welsh ones have weathered versions? No. Nope. Not yet. Nope. The, the, the oh. Irish County collection, um, done by house of edgar it basically it was a very very um unique collection done with the soft colors to reflect the soft rolling hills and blah 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 um insert marketing shtick here the uh uh but they're they're attractive tartans they all you know they sell reasonably well depending on where your family's from and whatnot um but there's no there's no plans for any of them to have a different variation i'd say the the same thing probably goes with the Welsh tartans. It also, you know, from a uh, from a, a an industry standpoint, there's also the variable of how many of them do they sell with existing numbers? Is it strong enough, or has there been enough feedback for? I really like Edwards, but it's the blue is just too bright. I want a darker blue or a different shade of gray or whatever. Um, if every single person said that. Sure, they might offer another variant, but if there's if there's not a, an outcry, then no. The the you gotta remember that the color palettes for tartans are a recent-esque thing for mills to be able to give a secondary choice, a third choice, a fourth choice even, um, for different color palettes. So if you're a Buchanan and they sell a ton of Buchanan cloth, but they get a lot of complaints about Buchanan modern then hmm, let's do an ancient version and then well let's do the weathered version because it looks kind of different but it's the same tartan right. and then let's right. do muted and give them another option so there's just it's different yeah it's a different thing with tartans like the irish county tartans or the welsh tartans where they don't sell as many of them as they would like buchanan for a particular tartan yeah i i would i would say that basically um bear in mind that tartan color-wise is a heraldic code. So historically, you did not specify light red, almost an amber, and green like an emerald. It was just red, green, blue, yellow, heraldic speak, you know, it's just, and then artistic interpretation comes later, but officially it's just the primary colors. It's only recently that people have started getting more picky and more creative with saying, okay, we want this to be a light tan and we want this to be more of a, a burnt umber uh, when they're designing tartans. There's much more creativity now because there are options because of the technology that's advanced. And that's why House of Edgar was able to do what they did when they did the county tartans. 
Um, and they're gorgeous, by the way. I will always recommend the Irish County Tartans. Um, so, yeah, the idea of then taking that and saying we need a weathered version is not going to be as likely as where you have something which is just people get bored with because it's primary colors, it's very basic, it's very blocky, it's very standardized, and you want something that has more nuance to it. Modern tartans, a lot of time, will already have more nuance in them because people are able to be more creative with the, specifying the colors. Um, I'm sure that sometimes, like if it's a corporate tartan, they probably get so far as like to say, this is gonna be Pantone 21, this is gonna be Pantone 73, and very, very nailed down. Like if it's somebody like a big corporation who's registering it. So I'd say over time, it's possible that maybe something like some of the Welsh tartans might get a modified version of them, but it's more likely that somebody will decide they want to have a representation of the same thing, but they'll come up with an entirely new tartan in somber tones or weathered tones, dark tones or something to give it a different feel entirely. Okay, so you'll have like, you know, the spirit of, you know, the battle of such and such, and they'll choose to make it a weathered tartan as opposed to saying, well, let's do a weathered version of a county tartan. Does that make sense? Yes, I would. I would actually. I'm going to be a little bit more, a little bit more cynical, and take it a slightly different <laughs> track as well. Yeah. Uh, when it deal, when it comes to the Buchanan tartan, McDonald, Stewart, whatever, um, there's no copyright on the McDonald tartan or on the Stewart tartan. So I, as a mill, am going to offer the modern version, the same as the other mills do. I'm going to offer an ancient version, the same as the other mills do. When it comes to the Welsh tartans, when it comes to the Irish tartans, those are owned by one particular entity. So if I'm that entity, I own it, I don't have to come up with a different color variant because then I'm just competing with myself versus competing with somebody else. Now, in, in the instance of, let's say, the Patriot tartan from Loch Heron, they do have Patriot Weathered, Patriot Modern, Patriot Ancient, um, where they've come up with their own color palettes or different color palettes for it because that one design has proved reasonably popular and then they come up with different color palettes. Um, and it's a universal tartan so anybody can wear it. Um, but it, when, when it comes to uh, uh, copyrighted designs, there's less incentive, for lack of a better term, for the mill to come up with a new color palette because they already own it, so why change it? They just have to carry twice as much cloth. Right, and they don't want to cannibalize themselves yes. by, by offering too many different options. Yeah. So yep. I think I think more likely you'll see something like Spirit of the Easter Rising will become a tartan someday. You know what I mean? Um, or, you know, Glendor's Greatest Battle Heritage Tartan, Commemorative Tartan will be a thing, but you won't see weathered versions of Things that already exist. Yes. So I, I would agree. Exactly. You started it, so I think you would agree. <laughs> sure. Um, that said, I have uh, a related question. Okay, since we're talking about weather tartans, um, Daniel McCuller was asking. This is a fashion, que fashion appropriateness question. Strictly from a fashion rules standpoint, you know, being proper, is it ever really acceptable or appropriate to wear a more earth tone tartan, you know, shades of brown and tan, like, again, like a weather tartan, yeah. for formal dress, such as black tie or Prince Charlie level occasions? 
is it wrong to wear a weathered or muted tartan for a formal occasion? Or should you restrict yourself only to modern or ancient? Mm, I wouldn't. The, yeah. it's, yeah, I wouldn't. It's, it's kind of uh, the, the definition, for lack of a better term, for whether an outfit is uh, formal, semi-formal, smart day wear, whatever, is more in the accessories and the style of jacket, the style of neckwear, that kind of thing, than it is the tartan itself. The tartan kind of stands out on its own. Um, so yeah, the an easy answer, no. It's when I, you know, for, for my wedding tartan, which I talk about all the time, so I apologize if you've heard it before, um, I wore the Scott Green weathered tartan for my wedding. And I didn't feel weird. I don't look back on the photos 10 years later and say, ooh, I wish I would have done something different. No, I love the tartan. I still love the tartan. I think it's a beautiful tartan. Um, so it's, no, the tartan itself does not define formal or smart day wear or whatever. It's the accoutrement, if you will, that defines whether you're being formal or casual. I think I think the, the question makes me think that maybe, and I'm not gonna put words in his mouth, but I think it, it begs that a lot of people think that there is a difference between a modern tartan, modern palette tartan, an ancient palette tartan, et cetera, et cetera, and that the the anything other than the modern palette is some kind of a variant which is less official, less historic, or less uh, yeah. approved of. It's not the same heraldic symbol of the clan the way the pure tartan is, the pure tartan. So I think that's maybe what was going through the back of his mind that, you know, are you actually representing your clan properly if you have a weathered tartan? You're supposed to be hunting in that. How could you wear that to the ball? <laughs> you know, um, I think some people, <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> some people have that kind of misconception. Um, it's just not, it's not the case. But I think I could see where people would get that feeling. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, misleading. Yeah, same like right. hunting tartan versus dress tartan or red, ver it's, yeah, it can be, it can, the the the, the, uh, the, the the text we use, the verbiage we use can be a little bit misleading, um, not on purpose, we're not trying to mislead people, but the hunting tartan doesn't mean that you can't wear it for formal events. Um, you know, look at, you know, Sean Connery, he wears McLean hunting for all his stuff, including, you know, being knighted. So it's not that it's inappropriate or, or less appropriate or whatever, um, whether it's a color palette, whether it's hunting versus dress, it's, no, it's the accoutrement that you're wearing with the kilt that define the outfit. Yeah, conversely, you can come up with some extremely elegant and more refined looks using those other forms of the tartan. Um, a modern palette tartan is almost de facto, a lot of time gonna be in your face. It's gonna be very bold and you're gonna be more drawn to having things like, for instance, a skin do with a bright jewel in the pommel. Um, you know, like, it's just kind of like, it's bold. Whereas a weather tartan, like my boss used for his wedding. Did you mention he used a weather tartan for his wedding? I think he might have. Me? Um, I think I mentioned it. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Well, probably probably good that you did. Um, you can get into subtleties with those where you can actually, you can you can play off of things like the pewter tones and the, and the fur in the sporin and stuff like that. And you can actually build a really elegant and sophisticated look. So um, follow your bliss and use whichever tartan you love. If you own one kilt only, don't worry about restricted, restricting it to only certain occasions. Use the kilt, no matter what. The only part I would take minor issue with on what you just said is the um, 
the uh, uh, the boldness of it. If it's a red tartan, then yes. Yeah. yeah okay. Okay. I guess Blackwash uh, yeah, isn't yeah. technically that bold. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. All right. Next it's question. Max turn. Max turn next. Yep. Hi, welcome back. Hey, Max. Hello. So we have... Um, this is this has been... It's been a, he's, he's made a few comments on through here. Uh, Giovanni asking... Uh, he recently spilled, and his topics have been about Spaghetti. So uh, we'll start there. Uh, a guy named Giovanni topics about spaghetti. Not stereotypical at all. Just saying. Just saying. Oh, I know where he lives, but go ahead. Um, yeah, there's there's how many Giovanni restaurants around here? Um, <laughs> so I recently spilled a rather large amount of spaghetti sauce on one of his kilts. Um, he needs it clean, but there is a lot of, uh, of spaghetti sauce. Um, huh. Is there a good method for hand cleaning kilt? So I think, especially now, we're going to be eating potentially little dinners, and we could yep. be spilling stuff on. So what is the good way yep. to do those cleaning methods right there? I uh, uh, good luck. Godspeed. Yeah. Um, yeah. The if I had to, I don't even know if I want to guess because I'm not the the laundry police, um, A, treat it as soon as possible. Get it off, get it soaked, or, you know, or, or you know, treat it as soon as possible. Um, do you, I don't know, Eric, do you know much, what do you know about laundry? All I, well, yeah, I mean, the fact that he's asking us this question now, I think is, unfortunately means, Giovanni, it, it may be too late. Yeah, I know. Um, absolutely. The, the the first thing you do for straight stain treatment, usually the recommendation is, as soon as it happens, strip the thing off and yeah, in the middle of the St. Andrews party, of course. Um, as you do. This, well, get it under, under cold water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, get under cold water as as fast as possible and and just rinse and rinse and rinse and rinse. Um, and then yeah, um, soaking in something like a woolite solution. Um, I guess is probably the way to go. There's probably more nuanced things you can do, but that's what I've always heard. Um, you're looking at probably dry cleaning, I guess, but the problem is it's like the evil trifecta of stains is tomato sauce, wine, like red wine and coffee. And yeah, that's, that's horrible, man. That's, I, I feel you. That's, that's really not, I'm not sure if you'll be able to recover. Um, so do you want yeah, to a big Italian wedding? He had he had a spaghetti course, and he had his wine course, and he had, uh, oh, and then and then some espresso after dinner. You know, it was yeah, very no, tasty. Lemoncello, lemoncello. That's the Italian uh, uh, dessert drink. Yeah, yeah, drink. Okay. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure I have any. I don't, I'm not sure I have good advice at this point. If the stain has if the stain has set, you may have to talk to a dry cleaner and see if they can do anything special for you. Um, yeah. but the, the getting it underwater as fast as possible, rinsing it, soaking it in cold water, and then, um, soaking it with something like a wool light, you know, a, my, a, a gentle wool specific detergent. Now we can also yeah. recommend a good kilt retailer. <laughs> right. Right. Um, no, but it's, yeah, it, it's, would OxyClean, do you think help it? 
I think so. Charlie I mean, Clear Rock, I don't know, know if it was like or something, but I'm sorry, I didn't mean to talk over you. Yeah, uh, Kelly you? swears by OxyClean for blood, for you know, wine, for whatever it is. Um, she yeah. said a lot of luck with that. Yeah, OxyClean is good. From what I hear, that that's that works really well. Yeah, but again, feed is important before it yeah. really sets. Absolutely. So remember, OxyClean, Woolite, and USAKilts.com. <laughs> <laughs> I would turn it into an art piece. I would like. I'd spray paint like anarchy symbols on it or something and use it for rock concerts and then yeah, yeah, get another yeah. kilt. Little, little 70s punk kilt action going on. Okay. There you go. Get some safety pins on there. Could be the, cool. The, the random, non really purposeful zippers. Yeah. 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 You can Absolutely. do that. I will always, you, know, I, you know, I already own a patch kilt. So, you know, there, there's always that. If it's not a kilt you care about, then put some, put some weird shit on it and excuse my language, and uh, and use it for fun occasions. Or just keep it as is, use it for splitting wood in the backyard, and get another kill. Yeah. That's got to hurt, though, man. Yeah. Uh, I can see it happening. I can see, like, the whole thing, like, being, you know, the slow motion, like, no thing. No, I'm, I'm, I'm moving forward to the burial. Do they play taps? Then must you burn the kilt? Must you salute it and have oh, yeah, a 21-gun salute as it goes oh, down? What's mm -hmm. the what's the proper burial for a kilt? That's a good question for future episodes. The archaeologist in me says, please do bury it in a peat bog, so we can study it later. Um, but the spiritual, Indeed. my spiritual side says, burn it. Sam, fair, fair point. Yeah, my turn. Yep, Giovanni, I'm so sorry, man. That sounds horrible. I wish I could offer you better advice, but yeah, uh, not fun, not fun. All right. Uh, Nola Riggs would like us to discuss lapels on vests versus no lapels, especially when paired with a jacket. Okay. Um, just preference. Um, it's fashion is cyclical. They will have been in fashion a long time ago, then they go out of fashion with no lapels, and they come back into fashion a little bit. I'd say now with the uh, with the Downton Abbey effect and the you know the Peaky Blinders thing going on. Um, there's, they're a little bit more in fashion. I tend to like them if I'm only gonna wear a vest by itself. No jacket, not gonna match a jacket, not gonna wear a tweed jacket with it. Then I tend to get lapels on the vest just for something you know, a little stylish. Um, but it's not, it's not the end of the world to wear it without lapels. Right. And uh, we also mentioned all, a lot of time if you're wearing the vest by itself, consider getting a cloth back as opposed to the satin back because the satin back will uh, uh, not be as warm and not complete the outfit quite as nicely as having wool all the way around. Um, and I think more guys are wearing vests on their own than with jackets these days. I don't know, I'm torn aesthetically in a purely modern context. Um, even though lapels on, on waistcoats has come and gone over the years, we tend to feel like this is old timey. It's not yeah. necessarily, there are plenty of times, even, you know, like in the 19th century where you did not have a lapel on a waistcoat. Um, so if you want a more modern or simple contemporary look, then skip the lapels. So the attention is drawn to the outer lapels of the jacket. You know, modern yeah. modern looks are all about simplicity. Two things. One, the, the Eric points out about the back of the, the, back of the lapel or back of the, uh, the vest. If you're going to be wearing it with a jacket, typically you have it with a satin back 
so that it's not extra hot because you have you know two layers of wool in the jacket itself and then on the vest itself as well. If you're only ever gonna wear the vest by itself, then get a, get a, uh, uh, a tweed back with the vest when you have it made. When I wear, the one thing I noticed is that when I started wearing uh, vests with lapels, because of the way it's faced, um, uh, Eric, if you could flip your collar over a little bit so sure. I can see the back. Well, yours isn't too, too bad, but you see how you see a little bit of fabric there on the backside versus the satin going all the way up to the edge. On a tweed vest with the satin going all the way up to the edge, when you're wearing a necktie, like without lapels, it's fine and necktie stays nice and centered. When I was wearing neckties with lapels and there was a little bit of tweed fabric on the back, that was grabbing my necktie and I would find that my necktie would kind of shift off to the side a little bit during the day. So I started taking to wear a tie bar hidden down here, you know, below the bottom of the V on the actual, uh, on the on the vest, but wearing a tie bar to help keep the tie centered. So it's just a little tip, a little trick to help with that if you do want to wear a, uh, a vest with lapels. Mm -hmm. Yep. Cool. All right, hope that helps. Mr. Mack, why don't you bring in the next question? Okay. Um... James is asking, what are one or two of your favorite ways to enjoy a, the non-touristy part of Scotland when you travel there? Mm. Enjoy the non-touristy part. Um, that's hard. It's getting harder. It is, and that's not. The, I'd say this. Um, first, whenever I go, I typically drive myself. I don't do the guided tour thing, or if I do, it's just like a, a day tour or a three hour tour. I would take a short tour, do little things if I wanna do the tourist thing. If I wanna experience what the locals are experiencing, I will, if I'm staying at a bed and breakfast, I'll ask the host at a bed and breakfast, where should I go? What's the best restaurant in town that has the best local food? What's the best pub for traditional music? What's the best spot where the locals don't, don't give me the, the, you know, the McDonald's, don't give me the, the main chain, you know, the chain bar, give me where the local people go. That's how you actually get the, the, the flavor, if you will. Um, same kind of thing if you're in a big city, ask the, the concierge at the hotel, you know, where should I go? What's the best thing to do tonight? You know, it, it's, you have to rely on the kindness of strangers, on the kindness of the locals, because they'll know better than you what the good local spots are versus un unless you want to do you know, the tourist thing, which there's nothing wrong with that. It's a prepackaged thing. You know what you're getting. You know, there, there's, a, there's a history element to it, and they're going to give you what you want if that's what you want. But if you want to know the thing, I'd say, go yourself, you know, take your, do it in your own time, maybe do a little bit of research ahead of the time when you go. Okay, if I'm going to be staying in Aberfoyle, which is the first place I ever went in Scotland, what's on the other side of the Trussocks? Calendar was on the other side, so we went over there. Um, we, you know, went around the Trussocks. We went down to uh, Glasgow for, you know, day trips. We went out to Fort William. Uh, it's just seeing neat, fun stuff. If there's a distillery you might want to go to, you know, look for the the, the fun stuff in the local area, what the area, what the region is known for. And then when you get there, be willing to call an audible and say, hey, I was gonna plan on going to you know, this distillery 
on, you know, I was going to go to the Lagavulin distillery on Isla, but you get there and you're like, hey, what's the best distillery? And they go, oh, don't go to Lagavulin. They're tourists kind of meh. They're, 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 they're too busy this time of the season. Go to Lafroig. There you get you know, a better tour, whatever. It's just call an audible and, you know, do what you do. Mr. Eric. Mr. Rocky. Um, yes. Yeah, I would, I would go even further. Um, I tend to like pretty rough and ready travel. Um, my wife and I will do bed and breakfasts, not hotels. Um, if you are young enough and you're and bold enough, do youth hostels. Use the hostel system. Do not go to the big hotels. Avoid hotels if you can. Um, bed and breakfast will give you a much more unique experience. Um, you'll get to meet people that you wouldn't get to meet otherwise. You can socialize with other people staying there or not, if as you choose. You know, sometimes you want to hang out in the living room in the morning and you know, or in the evening and meet the other people there. Other times you don't. Um, some of our best memories are things like staying at a uh, uh, a bed and breakfast and uh, the sheep being right outside the window. And I swore I heard people. I've heard I heard noises. And I'm like, sounds like there's people pretending to be sheep outside. And I went to the window, and there's this flock of sheep out there. And, and it's like, wow, like real sheep sound like people pretending to be sheep. <laughs> it's this weird realization I had. Um, it's, it's this weird cliche. Um, and then actually from that very same bed and breakfast, we walked um, from there into the village over a little canal to a pub for dinner. And uh, we ate outside, which had the weird experience of me seeing uh, rats in the canal <laughs> as we're eating there are these rats running around you don't know what you're going to find is what i'm saying um and you, you got to get off the beaten path so i i think hike stay in bed and breakfasts um self-drive absolutely if you can um or you know try and if you need a guide or if you're afraid of driving or something like that then consider hiring a, a driver as opposed to taking a tour bus um and when you can slip in the conversations with people facts that demonstrate that you're not an idiot okay that you that you respect the culture and that you know more about it than what it says in the guidebook or more than what you saw on a youtube documentary okay um my dad not my story but my dad had a great story where he went to england and uh they had a driver and this is in the 60s so i guess it was easier to do back then they had a driver and he became friends with the guy to the point where the guy was like you know what i'm gonna take you to the pub i go to and he went and he wound up uh, having a drink with a couple of people and uh, there was a dartboard and they uh, they started to uh, pure like, hey, you want to play darts? And he was like, actually, yes. And they didn't expect the American to play darts. And so he had a friendly game of darts with this guy. And it's like, oh, OK, you know, nice game. And he did he did pretty well for himself. He didn't win. And then, you know, shook hands afterwards and they had another drink. And, and later the guy left and the barkeep was like, yeah, that was the that was the town champion. <laughs> he let you win. He let you do as well as you did. <laughs> but but it was great because he wasn't. He didn't come off as a jerk. He came off as a sincere student, like we always say. And you will see things that you don't expect. You'll find things you don't expect. Um, little things that are going to stick with you as memories, like me and my canal rats. Um, the, uh... if, if you do all that independently, be as independent as possible, is is my advice. And get out of the freaking city. Always get out of the cities if you can. My uh, my my canal rat story, if you will. <laughs> it's canon now. Uh, 
Now, can I piggyback something? Piggy, piggybacks? Yeah. Whatever. Righty back. The, when we were, when Kelly and I went to Ireland for the first time, I remember we landed and we stayed. We had to drive, you know, from Dublin across country to Clare. We stayed in a town called Ennis. And there was a small, uh, like, four or five cottages in on like a property. It was kind of, and the, it was January. The owner had to come out, give us our key, let us in, and then left. Perfect. Um, and I remember it was, uh, you know, Kelly and I used to smoke way back when. We don't anymore, but we used to smoke way back when. And I remember, you know, she went outside and it was pitch black, far away from the city, nothing out there. She went outside to have a cigarette and she found, you know, a little a rock to sit on and there was, you know, a field beside her and a fence and stuff. And she was just sitting there in the quiet and literally right beside her, she heard, it was, a, <laughs> it was a cow right beside her. She jumped yep. out of her skin, came running back to the house like, oh my God. And, but, you know, it's, it was that dark, but it's, it, when we stayed there, we went to town and we we're talking to people, just, you know, striking up conversations and just being nice and open and non, you know, trying to be nice to the people that are there and asking them, where's the best place to go for session music on a Tuesday? And multiple people said, okay, this bar, that's where we went. We sat down, had our pints of Guinness, musicians, you know, filed in, there was a peat fire, Old dude on a bike came over and buying drinks back and forth, just hanging out. Talk. It was just like wonderful time, but we wouldn't have known it if we wouldn't have asked the locals, where do you go? What do you see? What do you do? How do I get the authentic experience? Not the watered down tourist version. So, and, and yeah, I mean, and, and honestly, uh, there's a little embrace the, the street culture too. You know, like if you're staying, if you're staying at the B and B and it's like, you know what? I want to get a chippy. Where can I get a good chippy? You know, and you're not asking for, yes, where's the best restaurant? We want to have some authentic Scottish cuisine. You know, it's like, dude, I want a chippy. Where can I get a good chippy? And, I was like, and they'll be like, oh, okay, this guy's, this guy's real. You know, so, and that's, you get A, the legit right now real time street culture, and B, you're signaling that you have respect and you're not on a high horse. You know, that you're not expecting yeah. to be entertained that you're not there to be entertained by them, that they're not a toy for you or something. So it's like, you know, go talk to somebody and say like, we want to have a, you know what? We were thinking about going out to a restaurant tonight, but instead we're going to get a munchie box. We're to, who has the best munchie boxes in town? You know, there's all kinds of ways to break the ice, but once you break the ice, then you're in, then you're in. Then yeah. you get the tips, then you get the inside skinny. And I'll tell you what, you know, watching TV over there is a, is a hoot also. There were a couple of nights where we were just exhausted and we would just be like watching British TV. It's like, wow, okay, that's different. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, just keep your mind open and get out of the city, like I said. Absolutely. All wow, right, that was a Yeah. I like that one, man. I wanna go on vacation. I have more stories that I could throw into there, but I'm trying to not go too crazy. We should. We could probably do a whole thing on that kind of thing again sometime. Yep. You know what I mean? We could do we could do another we did a travel story a while back, but we could do another separate show on yep. travel. Let us know if you guys are interested in things like that. All right. This is a this this will be a little bit silly one. Uh Ginger Zombie23 on Twitch. I think we've had questions from you before, Mr. Twitch. Zombie. Yep. Twitch. Um 
he was wondering about skin dews. He said skin dews are the most common bladed weapon or tool that kilters wear. But other than skin dews, what are some of the blades or weapons or things that are generally accepted for wearing at contemporary Celtic festivals or historical events or ren fairs or the like? What kind of what kind of cutlery are you allowed to carry around as um, a modern day Highlander? I a a standard I'll, I'll go a few different ways standard boot knife or a pocket knife or something like that i know a lot of the guys at the shop carry a, a knife on their one of their kilt their hips kilt strap um just for you know opening boxes or whatever defending themselves against customers um <laughs> <laughs> rowdy customers want, it's oh. I, I want the graphic of that i want lucas and lance in battle position against you know an onslaught of of customers I don't know. I, I don't. I can't think of too many, you know, pieces of cutlery that people would bring with them. Um, a dirk, but nobody really wears dirks, so to you know, all that often. Any thoughts, Eric? Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I would not wear any such weaponry if you're going to a general uh, Highland Games event, a festival atmosphere. Um, it's more trouble than it's worth. If you if if the event even if the venue even allows things like that, they will almost certainly require that they be peace tied, um, which I know there are other terms for it now, but essentially peace tying is something that Ren Fairs and other venues will do, where they uh, use a lot of time a zip tie these days to make sure that the weapon cannot be drawn from the scabbard, because they don't want people you know they don't want a few bad apples being idiots and you know, hey, look at my sword you know and and causing accidents and causing trouble. Um, yeah. so number, you know, number one, that just is like, meh, okay. It's a prop. Um, even in my experience in the SCA, you think, you know, when you're a teenager and you're getting into this, you're like, yeah, I want a cool sword. I'm going to wear the sword with my tunic and my medieval stuff. And I'm going to go around. Yeah. With my sword. And then you very, very, re very quickly realize that it, it's heavy, um, after a while and it's awkward. And there'll be cases where, like, if you're at an event indoors, you wind up accidentally lifting ladies' skirts, which is a historical problem, by the way, not just a modern one. Uh, and, you, and you slap. Well, accidentally. accidentally and on purpose, it happened. In fact, Queen Elizabeth was famous for uh, making her courtiers uh, limit their blade lengths to like 40 inches, um, you know, like 38 to 40 inches. And if it was longer than that, you'd either be disbarred from entering the court or they'd snap the blade off. Um, to prove the point, because it was an inconvenience to the ladies, and and honestly to other people too. Like you just you're you're whacking people in the in the in the shins as yeah. you walk around in a closed quarters. Um, so if you really are doing like a cosplay kind of a vibe, and you really want to look like super Highlander or something at a Ren fair or something, then okay, it's fun. But then you're get then you're getting into the discussion we have about fantasy versus reality, which we get into here sometimes. For a modern context, Highland Games. A dinner, um, you know, a clan gathering, yada yada yada. I don't recommend it at all, unless you are there to do specifically do a reenactment for the public as a as a as a reenactor, and you're doing a set time where you're doing a demonstration of this is what a Jacobite war, etc. 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 I wouldn't bother with it. Um, it's just it's more trouble than it's worth. Uh, it really honestly does get in your way. I might go so far as to say a dirk would be f a fun accessory. But really, there's a reason people don't carry them around on the daily these days. So yeah. I wouldn't bother. 
Um, I don't know. I don't mean to be a killjoy. I really don't mean to be a killjoy. It's just like I used to carry. I used to carry swords around at events, and it's just like after a while, I was just like, screw it. You know, I'm gonna. I know I'm gonna. I'm gonna go out and fight later this afternoon. The stuff I'm gonna use for that is in a bag. <laughs> it's in a big duffel bag that I'm gonna carry out to the field, flop on the ground, unzip, and take out so I can go fight. I'm not gonna wear that stuff around all day. So, yeah, I would say invest your money in accessories that are more forgiving. Or practical. Um, or practical. Or, you know, if it's a special occasion like a wedding, you may find that you want to have that sword there because they're doing the sword arch for the for the bride and groom or something like that. Or like you're the guard of honor. They've given you a job to be like, you know, a, a, a good looking guy as part of the proceedings. Great. But bear in mind that you're probably going to set aside or put it back in your car when you're not performing that duty. Agreed. That makes sense? Yeah. Yep. See, the, I, I'm also don't worry about weapons because my hands are lethal weapons. You know, so I don't I don't need a sword. Everybody was kung fu fighting. No. Can we play that on bagpipes? <laughs> um, no. Lucas's fingers are fast as lightning. That's. <laughs> back up. <laughs> yep. Indeed. All right, Mr. Mac. Next question, pretty please. Alrighty, so we have Sam asking, what type of kilt would you, or what type of coat would you suggest to wear when it's rather cold? I'm looking for something that'll go well with a ghillie shirt, but keep me warm on when it's a cold day. Mm -hmm. Coat so, to so go good. with a... Okay. I was going to say, so, looking, so we're talking like a casual, slightly romantic kind of look. Like we're talking yeah. like a ghillie, like a, the lace-up ghillie shirt or a grandfather shirt or something like that. That's that's kind of what I'm gathering from uh, from his comment. Okay. Hmm. Um, we get asked this fairly regularly. I mean, I would I would not worry about the shirt so much and just say we're talking casual here. So, what do you think? Forget the shirt itself and just go into you know practicality of being warm. Um, just whatever you know spring type jacket you have, whether it's like an Ike style jacket, you want to make sure that it's short enough. To be able to warm with wear with the kilt so it's not you know going down and covering up you know a good amount of the pleats or going down to the bottom of your sporing because when you sit down specifically in a, a jacket where you have to zip it up and it doesn't unzip from the bottom just you know it starts at the bottom and goes straight up no reverse zipper then when you sit down with a sporing on and the jacket on it definitely you know puts a lot more pressure on the bottom because you're increasing your girth by wearing a sporn and if the jacket covers that um, if it has a zip up like uh, a snowboard jacket I have has a zip up at the bottom when I get dressed in the winter to come to the shop I'll actually zip up past the sporn so when I sit in my car I'm not gonna pop the zipper um, and it just you know kind of relaxes a little bit around it there but it's yeah or or get a shorter style jacket like an Ike it's going to fit a little bit higher on the waist. Yeah. Um, yeah. Again, I'm going to, I'm going to guess that basically we're talking like modern, uh, slightly romantic, but you know, just a, a nice casual looking look with a ghillie shirt, not trying to do anything quasi historical or anything. Um, you know, modern Highlander kind of a look. So I would agree. Yeah. Um, I think if you want to go more rustic, then make sure the jacket is wool. Uh, or wool-like material. Um, I often will wear, uh, you know, an M65, not an M65, an M1 bomber jacket, but that's like shiny 
nylon, you know what I mean? That's very modern. Looks good with like, well, a turtleneck, for instance, or uh, you know, a t-shirt. Um, and that's one of my go-tos. But I actually recently got a peacoat because I found a peacoat that was a little bit short um, than a standard peacoat. And that's a really good look and it's wool. It has the feel of wool and it's got the, the look of wool, which goes well for that kind of rustic kind of look. Uh, I think I'm repeating myself, but um, heck, a denim jacket. If you're not worried about warmth too much, uh, a, a good old classic Levi's denim jacket can be a good cut. Um, I, I wish somebody was making something that was authentic reproduction of a World War II era, either Eisenhower jacket or the British battle blouse, which is very similar. I had one when I was in college and it was like an Ike jacket, but it had a belt that went around and attached on the side. You know what I'm talking about, Mac, right? That's a great jacket with a kilt. That looks awesome. And it's just, yeah. it's, 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 it's homey at the same, at the same time as it's military. It's just because of the texture and everything. It's really good. Yeah. There, there's a few places that, that reproduce like the Ike jackets or, um, or some of the World War II jackets you're talking about. Um, and depending on, again, it depends on if you're where you're going to go. If you're looking for something more that's made in the U S or something that's made overseas, you're going to get a, a little bit of price difference there between the, the two of them. Um, but like a company of like at the front.com, they, they definitely would be more on the war two side of things. Um, mm -hmm. but what do you guys think about like an Inverness cape or, or even a cloak? Cause he's going with a ghillie shirt. Like that's where my mind goes to start off with. Yeah, man. Ghillie shirt goes back to the 1950s. It's, it's, it, as we've said before, it's, it's not a, it's a historically inspired shirt. It's not an actually historical shirt. Uh, assuming we're talking about the same thing, I am referring to the ghillie slash Jacobite slash Highlander shirt where you've got the grommets and the leather thong lacing going up. Um, I don't know. I think I think cloaks are awesome. Uh, Inverness capes are, are they're warm and they do a good job. They ain't cheap. Um, some people, I've, I know people have gotten them occasionally and been like, there's no sleeves. Wait a minute. Wait, there's no sleeves on this. So they wind up having to figure out something to wear under the cloak anyway. It's not as simple as just like running out the door and grabbing your cloak and going. Because, um, yeah, there's no sleeves. But I remember uh, getting, a, uh, uh, getting an Inverness cape in tweed for the shop one time. Um, a, I had no idea how much it was going to cost. And when I got the bill, I just wanted to order one for stock just to have. I got the bill and I was like, how much did we pay for this? Um, but then, you know, had to try it on, had to look at it. Um, and the thing that I found most amusing was the way that they made it. Um, the the cape part actually had like three or four or three or five buttons to hold it on, so you could actually remove it. And I removed it and thinking to myself like this is like a, a vest trench coat. <laughs> it's just no sleeves, an Inverness cape, you know, similar to like how like Sherlock Holmes wore and that kind of stuff. It's just a trench. Literally, it's a long coat with no sleeves on it, and then a little capette, you know, a thing that comes around the shoulders and yeah. buttons down the front um, to allow a freer range of motion of your arms underneath it. It was beautifully made, um, but it's it, it looks historical-esque. Um, even if it's not meant to be, it looks historical-esque just because it's such a strong, yeah. in my mind, you know, visceral, it looks like Sherlock Holmes thing. I think if you swap out the ghillie shirt for um, any other shirt or a slightly historical shirt and tweeds, like you're going hunting, then an Inverness cape is amazing. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely much more of a 19th century 
or 20th century look. People, guys still do wear them to go out into the hills. Um, they still get used sometimes. Um, I used to have a reproduction Civil War era greatcoat, but I got it for doing civilian reenactment, so it was in black instead of like the, the you know the the usual you know blue or grays. Um, heavy mother. It was really yeah. heavy, but it was very effective. Uh, but screamed 19th century. So yeah, yeah. but that's that's you investment. I think, I think there's modern stuff he could do for a nice, adventurous and yet rustic. Um, modern Highlander can have a look that would that would work. And I like I'm, right now, I'm liking pea coats. If you can find one that's not full length, you know. Yes, and even if it is full length, I'll say this: um, when you said pea coat, I was like, oh, that's right. I have a pea coat. I don't know if I fit in it anymore, but I have a pea coat. Um, and the thing that I used to do with the pea coat, or a button, or a jacket that buttons, not zippers, is if you're wearing a kilt and a sporn you have the same kind of issue with it you know, being too snug on the bottom. When I would wear the peacoat, I would just do the top button or two on the side, not all four of them. So that way it expanded across the bottom and it fit me much better that way. Yeah, I think yes. a, button, a button closure is your friend as opposed to a zipper. I totally agree. Yep, 100%. Cool. All right, Mr. Eric, next okay. question, pretty please. Uh, it is five o'clock by the way. This will be the last one, then. Uh, this is semi-quick. Uh, Josh Sanders asked us, do you make kilts for AOH groups? Do they even wear kilts? And if so, what kind? I mean, are we talking, do they do saffron and green, or they do, do they do tartan? How do, how do organized Irishmen take to the kilt? The, uh, yeah, AOH, or Ancient Order of Hibernians, it's an Irish fraternal thing, for those that don't know. Um, They've done, yes, we've done you know, a lot of kilts for different AOH divisions. Uh, a lot of them do our casual kilts, especially if it's just for parades and that kind of stuff. Um, some of them do tartans. Some of them will pick them based on colors. Others will do saffron or a solid color blue or solid color green with a little bit more, you know, tradition behind it. Um, but yeah, it's, we've done a lot of kilts for AOH divisions. It's, I'd probably say less in more recent years than we did probably 10 or 15 years ago, but yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I think uh, it's it usually is definitely def for, from a parade standpoint that they do it. Um, Ireland's National, I'd say, was the most popular tartan. I've actually seen fewer of them going for solid saffron or solid green or something. Um, so yeah, Ireland's National, hands down, I would say be, would be the most popular tartan that AOH guys go for, either individually or, because, or as a parade team. Um, they tend to like to go for the bolder accessories. I think that's where, and that's where you get into the democracy in, in action thing with clubs is basically trying to decide what accessories you want to be standard. You know what I mean? So it's like, well, I like that sport. No, I like that one better. No, we should go with the harp. No, we should go with the, sh the shamrock. Um, but yeah, they do it. And there's actually enough variety in Irish kilting now that different divisions and groups can actually come up with a, a, a uniform appearance for special occasions that's without too much difficulty. You know, that, that looks pretty good. So yeah, absolutely they do it. And there's some, there are some groups that'll say, okay, the kilt has to be X tartan, but for your buckle, you can pick whatever one you want or pick one of these five. For the sporin, it can be this one or this one. As long as they look close enough from 10 feet that there's not like, a horsehair spawn versus like a black day spawn, um, where it's a, a, a very, very distinct visual difference. Um, but a lot of clubs will 
pick, like allow a minor bit of uh, uh, personality to come through in some of the accessories, like kilt pin or whatever, um, where others are like, nope, here's your kit. This is what you're getting. Mm -hmm. yep. yep. That's true. Very good. All right, Mr. Mac, we'll do one more. All right, we have Stray Cat 1674. For someone who has never celebrated Hogmanay, how would you appropriately celebrate it here in the U.S.? First footing, go kick your neighbor's door down at 12.01 and demand scotch. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> this year uh, or in general, because this year's a little bit special. But Yeah, yeah. It's... I, I'm, I don't know, the older I get, the more cantankerous and, you know, I'm just going to sit at home and, you know, spend it with the family kind of thing. Um, Eric, how would you celebrate Hogmanay? I think uh, we will always watch the fireworks if there's a fireworks broadcast and we will bounce between uh, Edinburgh, of course, and then we'll, uh, we'll also tune into the fireworks done at uh, in London at the Eye. They're both amazing shows. They put Times Square to shame. Um, so we'll do that, and we'll and we'll be ready to toast the new year with drinks, and uh, we will pretend we can sing "Odd Lang Syne," but my family are not the best singers. Um, this year we'll probably be doing that kind of thing over Zoom, you know, and we'll ring in the year with the fireworks and and, a, and a, some champagne. It, a lot of the American customs are not that far off from what they do back in the country, anyway. Um, I mean, "Odd Lang Syne." How many people in this country realize it's even the Scottish song, for crying out loud? Um, not to sound too cynical, but uh, we'll do that. Um, my wife will do the uh, the thing on uh, New Year's Day where you smudge the house and open up all the windows to uh, to blow out the smoke and to let in the fresh cold air, and then we'll have breakfast. Um, Scot Scotland specifically, you'll have whiskey with the breakfast. Um, I don't remember if they do a specific meal traditionally for that breakfast, but that is a big deal. Um, and that is basically goes back to um, cleansing the house and making it lucky for the new year. Um, for us as a, as a pagan family, it's kind of the closing of the Yuletide. So there's kind of a, a bookend effect to it, you know, where you're inviting in things at the beginning of the holiday. And at the end, you're saying, OK, party's over. Everybody go home. And, uh, and cleansing things afterwards, which is which is really, it gives you a sense of beginning and closure at the same time. And Hogmanay um, is similar. And now that Christmas is more, Christmas was not an official holiday in Scotland until like the 50s, remember. Um, and yet you had traditions that were inherited from Yule where they'd th do things like redding the house, which is where you're cleaning the house um, and, and meals with family. And there was all the buildup to Hogmanay, which became the huge party it was because you were not allowed to celebrate Christmas. Uh, the Presbyterians for a long time felt that it was papist, it was not a, a good holiday to celebrate, it was not good or healthy. Um, so it's like, okay, we'll have the party in a few days. It's, it's about the new year. So um, a lot of things that you think of as Christmas traditions in this country um, used to be Hogmanay-centered things in, in Scotland in the old days. So having special meals with family, having special foods, um, first footing is the most famous by far um and and that's that's i would definitely do that if you can even if you have to do it virtually uh, do the first footing uh first footer should be bringing what is it it's like coal whiskey and uh i think shortbread and dark haired and tall is good luck or something like that the best luck comes from somebody who is tall and handsome and dark haired yeah for whatever reason 
Um, they, they are representing the luck of the new year coming to your home. Um, and it's, it's, it's basically in the masking and guising traditions of Europe in general. So yeah, um, if you can do that, even virtually, um, have somebody visit you, you know, or visit with friends and wish them good luck and, and sympathize about the, the, the bad times of the past year and toast the future and, you know, remember the good times and fireworks, set things on fire. We do a similar kind of thing here as well. Um, you know, in our own family, it's it's kind of taking some of that and just kind of you know mixing all the traditions together. Um, you know, you run outside at midnight and you bang the pots and pans, or you know, you set off fireworks ourselves at midnight just for because we love blowing stuff up. You know, you're you're celebrating in a new and sort of different way, but you're making it your own, um, as well as folding in the old traditions. Yep. I would, yeah, and and uh, yeah, I think the fireworks are the modern expression of the fire thing. If you look at different parts of Scotland, they'll have different places have different versions of it. Like there's one where they roll fire wheels down a hill into the water. There's the there's the one town where they make these giant chicken wire balls uh, filled with rags and stuff and set them on fire and they spin them around their heads as they parade down Main Street. Um, all of these things basically go back to ancient ancient times, and it's all about keeping bad stuff away and bringing good stuff in. So, um, fire and light in the darkness, it's human instinct. So I would roll with that. I would try to get some Scottish recipes into your meals, you know, try some Scottish desserts, do some black pudding, do some, do some haggis. You know, everybody thinks of it as for Burns night, but there's no reason you can't have it for Hogmanay also, you know, yeah. get, get at the food. It's definitely about the food too. I'm curious. I wonder if, um, you know, I've never been in Scotland for New Year's. I'm curious if they still do first footing and how much of that stuff oh, yeah. still survives over there um, versus in specific, not necessarily in 2020. I get that, you know, it's gonna be an issue. Um, but from an aspect of, you know, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, um, I'm, out, I'm old now. Um, you know, when the doorbell rang on your house, you ran to the door to see who it was. Now it's like the doorbell rings and you hide behind the furniture so you don't have to talk to people. Um, so you know, the phone rings like, why are you calling me? Text me. What are you? Like, so I'm curious if that tradition sticks around for the long term. Um, I think, well, here's, here's the thing. Um, I read about this a while ago. Apparently, first footing kind of went out of favor for a while, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, it was huge in the Victorian times. It was big in the early 20th century, and then it kind of fell off. Um, and then there was actually a concerted push, like in the past 30 years or whatever, to get back into it as a custom. Um, and it's it's definitely, it's become more popular now, is the impression I've gotten, is that it's kind of had a resurgence um, to the point where now you can buy like gift packs that have the things you're supposed to present when you're a first, first footer. So you can, you, can have the, you can have everything you need to do it right. Um, and the tradition of visiting people doesn't just stop at dawn or anything like that. I mean, it starts at midnight and that's the luckiest. The first, the first, first footer at 12.01 or whenever is the luck, is the real luck bringer. And by the way, they're supposed to leave by a different door. They can come in through the front door, but they're supposed to leave by the back door. Um, oh, yeah. But the visiting thing goes on for three or five days longer um, with people going around and visiting each other. So it's it's absolutely a uh, it's about reconnecting the community. So interesting. Yeah, it's still a big deal. I don't see it going away. I really don't. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. All right. 
Very good. Thank you, boys and girls, for tuning in. Question of the day. Thank you very much. What are all of y'all doing for New Year's? How are you going to incorporate your culture, whether that's Celtic culture, Gaelic culture, and those kind of traditions, if that's Polish, if that's Russian, if that's German, if it's African, whatever it is, how are you going to mix things in your family? What are you guys going to do for New Year's Eve this year being the craziest, most desperate, you know, disparate, whatever the word is, apart New Year's in any kind of memory, not even recent memory. What are you guys doing? I would love to know. Tell us in the comments. All right, boys and girls, with that being said, until next time, Slanjava. Slanjava. Thanks for joining us, guys. Our podcast theme song is Gold and Guns by the Kilmaine Saints. If you have a question for us, you can ask it during our YouTube live stream the first Friday of every month at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. If you want to get social with other kilt enthusiasts, go check out the Kilts and Culture group over on Facebook. You can also find USA Kilts on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, or over at our website, usakilts.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, Slanjava.